0: The trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd is underway. Lawyers for the defendant, Derek Chauvin, caught on video nonchalantly killing George Floyd told the jury, quote, you will learn that Derek Chauvin was doing exactly what he'd been trained to do during the course of his 19 year career, unquote. Today, we discuss the trial. We also look at other grotesque features of the American police state and more.
1: We need a new system. We need a new society
0: Welcome to today's episode of In the News, our Tuesday show on The Socialist Program with Brian Becker. It's March 30th, 2021. This is an in-depth look at the biggest stories in the news right now, today, and this week. We look beyond the headlines and expose the distortions in the corporate-owned media. If you enjoy the show, please support this independent programming by going to patreon.com slash the socialist program and subscribing. We can do this show with you, but not without you. I'm Nicole Roussel here with Esther Ivarum, Walter Smolarik, and our host, Brian Becker. Esther Ivarum is also the host of the radio show and podcast On The Ground at onthegroundshow.org. Please make sure to check out On The Ground, which comes out weekly on Fridays. Brian, what do we have in store for our listeners this week?
1: Well, we have another important and packed week. There is a change, though, and I want to make sure that everyone understands that for this week and this week alone, Professor Richard Wolf, who normally joins us every Wednesday uh, for our segment on the biggest stories in the economy, will be unable to join us. He has a personal scheduling conflict. So Richard Wolf will be back next week. But on Thursday, in the real story, we're going to do a deep dive with Eugene Perrier from Breakthrough news. Eugene has been in Haiti the last week covering the rebellion of the people of Haiti against the government and against neoliberal imperialism. So that'll be this Thursday on The Real Story. Let's get started though with the big stories of today. Esther, none is bigger, literally, no story is bigger right now in the media than the opening, the real opening of the trial. Of Derek Chauvin, the cop in Minneapolis who, who killed George Floyd. And everyone saw it. Everyone saw it on the video. And in fact, the prosecution used the video really as the core of its argument that Derek Chauvin should be convicted. And on the part of the defense lawyer, he told the jury, don't just look at the video. There's more to it. And he also said, as Nicole said in the intro, quote, you will learn that Derek Chauvin was doing exactly what he had been trained to do during the course of his 19-year career. Esther, I couldn't actually bring myself to watch the video. We talked about it yesterday in our editorial meeting, and you had watched it, and I had mentioned to you that I was concerned that, really concerned that the judge having allowed the defense to bring into evidence the fact that George Floyd may have had fentanyl in his system or some other drug or other parts of George Floyd's history, I was concerned that the judge was setting it up, as so frequently happens in the criminal justice system, so that cops, even the cops who are caught on video, committing acts of violence and brutality, including murder, are exonerated. Like what happened to the cops who beat almost to death Rodney King in 1991 when they were acquitted at their trial in 1992. Los Angeles erupted in a huge rebellion. 4,000 U.S. soldiers were sent to suppress the people in L.A. The National Guard, 6,000 of them were called out. More than 50 people were killed. Thousands were injured. Many, many thousands were arrested because everybody could see Rodney King was beaten almost to death by eight police officers who just wailed on him with their batons, and yet they were acquitted. So I was thinking, here we go again. You know, we talked about it. We talked about why the judge did that. You had your own thoughts about it. And before our show today, I thought, okay, I have to go watch that video. But then when I when I went to do it, I couldn't do it because it's so gross. It's so awful. Of course, nothing could be more impactful for human beings, real human beings than to watch that video.
2: That's right. And that's one of the reasons why I think that, you know, my perception, you know, from watching the first day of the trial, including the opening statements by the prosecutor and the defense lawyer, is that that video evidence of George Floyd's death is still so strong that the defense has a mighty hill to climb to prove that this was something other than Derek Chauvin committing murder. So the prosecutor, as you mentioned, Jerry Blackwell, he played the video in its entirety during his opening, this horrific video that millions, probably billions, have viewed around the world showing Derek Chauvin staring bold-faced at the camera with his hands in his pockets, sunglasses on his head, killing a man. So the prosecution has been able to document that Chauvin was actually kneeling on George Floyd's neck for close to a minute more than previously stated, rather than eight minutes and 46 seconds, which had been repeated over and over. They now know that it was more like nine minutes and almost 30 seconds, right? And the other thing that came out from the video to me was that the sound was seemingly amplified so that the jury and those of us watching the trial can more clearly hear the bystanders, you know, protesting this torture and murder that they see happening in front of them and this audible pleading, you know, increasing anger and verbal exchanges with the police. It only intensifies how we're like really re-traumatized as you mentioned by seeing this video. Almost a year later, so we have two clips. The first clip is early in the incident when the crowd can still hear George Floyd speaking.
3: Get up and get in the car, Mama. Get up and get Mama, in the car, right? I can't. Get gave y'all an hey, opportunity to get in, bro. I told right. you, you can't win. Just my stomach uh-huh. hurts. My niggers. Everything. Uh-huh. There. Ah, there's water or something. Please, 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 uh-huh. I can't breathe on uh-huh. you. Shut up. They will kill me. They will kill me, man. <laughs> me. You. Bro, with uh-huh. your feet on his neck, man, you get off the bone His nose, nose is bleeding, like, yeah, come that's on now. Yeah, there's right there with his feet on his neck, Look at his nose. Uh-huh. You, you know, just know. see your knee on his neck. Yeah, uh-huh. he you got uh-huh. your feet right on his neck, man. I cannot breathe in your wrist you He's oh, a tough guy. Man. You're a tough guy, huh? He's a tough guy. He's not even resisting arrest, bro. His
2: whole you nose is with him?
3: Ah. Bro, why you just sitting there? He ain't doing nothing. I'll put down. him in your car. How long y'all
2: gotta He'll hold be him, be down? him down?
3: So why we don't, don't do drugs, kids? It ain't about drugs, bro. Y'all understand Nah, Y'all don't, you don't got gotta put y'all in his bro. Right. He is human bro.
2: He's getting nose, bro. You
3: can put him, him in the car. That's a we bum tried ass that shit. for ten minutes. That's a bum ass shit, bro. That's a bum ass shit, bro. Y'all know that. You don't gotta sit there with your knee on his neck, bro. Bro, he ain't crying, bro. You you circle he, like in a jiu-jitsu move, bro? You trapped you in tra- 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 his breathing right there, bro. Okay. Like, you don't think that what it is, bro? You don't think nobody understands that shit right there, bro? I trained at the academy, bro. That's some bullshit, bro. Uh, Right. That's bullshit, bro. That's bullshit, bro. (laughs) bro. (laughs) You you fucking stopping his breathing right there, bro.
2: And the second clip is, I would say, maybe about four minutes later when the crowd sees that George Floyd is motionless and they um, are, are continuing to try to plead on his behalf and interact with the police oh yeah,
3: check for a pulse bro are you serious you going to just pulse. let him here with that on the street let his me net, see a bro? pulse is he breathing I right, right now check his pulse have a conversation check his pulse check his pulse Tao. Okay. check his pulse okay. check his pulse now check, yeah. yeah. okay. check his pulse what bro bro, bro check color. his pulse bro you bogus right. bro you bogus don't do drugs bro Check what is that? What do you think that is? You so you call? What well, he doing okay? Get back. You us? call? What well, he doing okay? 7-1. You call? You call? What you yeah. do You call? What he doing okay, are, are you bro? you really fire, fire, yes, bro. Yes, okay. okay, bro. Is you 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 you, you call? Sure you think he's that's okay? Closed. Check his okay. calls. Check his right call, check now. his calls. Get back. In the check side. the man ain't moved yet, bro. The man ain't moved yet, bro. Where? Minneapolis. Okay, bro. You're a bum, bro. You're a bum, bro. You're definitely a bum, bro. Tell me he's right now. Check the calls, Bro, he has not moved not one he time, all. No, did they fucking kill him, bro? Bro, bro, bro. are you, 1087, bro? Bro,
0: bro.
3: bro. He's, not, he's, not bro. He's, not, he's just going to let him keep his hand on his neck, bro? You're a bitch, bro. Tao, you gonna keep?
2: You going to let him keep that like that? you going to let him he's kill that man in front of you, bro? Huh? Huh?
3: Like what? Bro, he's not even bro, fucking bro, moving right now, bro.
2: So in that clip, you hear... A few people who are actually going to be witnesses during the trial, the man speaking is Donald Williams, who is a martial arts practitioner. He testified during the first day of the trial. You also heard an EMS first responder who is a woman asking them to check his pulse. And also the young woman who recorded the video, who's a minor, and and there was some discussion about whether she would be shown on the trial because she was 17 at the time and you know, now she's still a a teenager. Well, just like you, Brian, I, it was very emotional for me watching the video and even right now, just thinking about having to re-experience again was very traumatizing. And as I mentioned, the audio was enhanced, I think, so that the jury could really hear what was happening. And I don't think I had heard the sound of what happened so clearly before, you know, just playing it on my computer or my phone or however I was playing it before. And so, as I mentioned, yesterday was the first day of the trial, and Donald Williams, who you heard on the audio, was one of those who testified. And he testified that Chauvin had Floyd in a blood choke. And what we heard on the Video is like when he says it's a jiu jitsu move, and he told the court that that's the only time when Chauvin actually looked up and like locked eyes with him because Donald Williams knew what he was doing, and he says something else that I don't think that we had heard emphasized a lot before, and that is how Chauvin was actually digging in and squirming on George Floyd's neck. And at those moments, and when you rewatch the video, those are the moments when George Floyd really cries out in so much more pain. And there was some point where the judge did not allow Williams' testimony that he believed that Chauvin killed George Floyd. And he only allowed the testimony around what he understood to be the martial arts move. And what that move would do. But I believe that his statement that Chauvin's move killed George Floyd was struck from the record. So something in support of the defense, but I still think that the video was so powerful that it's very unlikely that those types of omissions will make a big difference for the jury. Only two other things that I wanted to add from the first day of the trial is that the defense not only tries to make Floyd culpable in his death by talking about the drugs in the system, the fact that he had the fentanyl and that he had a problem with addiction to like opioids, but he also tried to blame the crowd. He also tried to implicate the crowd in Floyd's death, saying that the crowd made the police, quote, divert their attention from the care of Mr. Floyd, end quote. It's so ridiculous when he said that because you were saying, how were they caring for him by, by killing him, slowly killing him? So the video also made it clear that Chauvin didn't even remove his knee after it was clear that there was no pulse and perhaps the knee was on George Floyd's neck for two minutes more after it was revealed that there was no pulse. So That was pretty damning. And I don't think that the defense's effort to vilify George Floyd or the crowd made a difference.
1: Walter, let's turn to you real quick. And then we have a number of other stories that we need to cover. But it would seem to me that the government, the ruling class, the capitalist class, those who oversee this system, they need a conviction here. And yet the way the criminal justice system is set up, the police have all of these advantages. I mean, if, for instance, anyone else was kneeling on somebody's neck for nine and a half minutes and they were pleading for the life and they died, there would be no question you'd be convicted if it was on video. Also, if you can just imagine if this was a white banker who was you know, on the ground and some police officer, let's say a black police officer even. Had his knee on his neck. I mean, this would be like a quote slam dunk. But the fact that this is even up for grabs, I mean, the fact that we're even talking about or speculating, will this be another Rodney King acquittal, shows how hard it is to convict police, even those who are, you know, visibly seen killing people who are, you know, defenseless people, unarmed people, as George Floyd was. Anyway, the government needs a conviction because without a conviction, this country is going to go up. It's going to look like Los Angeles all over again, except it's going to be in many, many cities. I think you're
4: right. I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that you're right. Yeah. So to start off, it is completely ridiculous that it's even in question whether or not Derek Chauvin will be convicted. I mean, the the entire world saw him commit this now infamous murder. And, you know, it should also be remembered that he was not even arrested immediately. I mean, that was one of the main things that was fueling the uprising, the fact that he was not immediately arrested for committing this murder in broad daylight. So, yeah, the wheels of justice has turned awfully slowly for Derek Chauvin, as it does for almost any police officer who commits an act of terrible violence like this one. The city of Minneapolis, state authorities, I'm sure authorities at the federal level, are preparing massive repression because they know, just like we know, that the court system, the legal system in this country, is skewed towards the cops. Um, and you know, we're seeing the defense lawyers, Chauvin's lawyers, doing what the cops' lawyers always do. They try to make the trial about the victim. You know, they're trying to demonize George Floyd all over again. They're emphasizing how physically large he was they're saying that you know he was on drugs he did drugs you know all of these just ridiculous stupid lies and slander that has the intention of making it seem like he deserved to die and so the fact that this mockery is allowed to go on in the courtroom is just further evidence of this built in advantage that the cops have but yeah i mean if there is an acquittal which I agree with you would actually be not good for this system under these particular circumstances because the resistance of the people has been so fierce, this is going to have the potential to reignite, perhaps in an even more explosive way, that same wave of resistance that went on over the course of the summer and really change consciousness in such a profound way in this country.
1: Nicole, we have so much to cover here. There are so many other big stories, and we have a lot about the American police state the racist police state. I want to turn to two other stories that I know you've been doing some research, and then we'll circle back and talk about some other important stories in the same realm. But there was the arrest last week of a Georgia Assemblywoman, Park Cannon, and her crime apparently was she was she's an elected representative in the state of Georgia. And while Governor Kemp, Republican Governor Kemp, was behind closed doors signing a new bill designed to basically eviscerate the rights of black voters, she dared to knock on his door and it was caught on videotape. Anyway, let's talk about this real quick.
0: Yeah, I want to play the audio clip, actually, before we start talking about it, because you can really hear, you know, there's a number of people who are in the Capitol who are supporting her who are completely outraged at what's happening. The governor is signing
2: a bill that affects all Georgians. Why is he doing it in private, and why is he trying to keep elected officials who are
0: representing us out exactly. of the process? Exactly.
2: Are you serious? No,
0: you oh, are not. Represent. No. she's not under arrest. What for? What arrest? under arrest for? What why is she under arrest? for trying to she's see something arrest? that our governor why is, she is he doing? Under arrest? Why
3: is she under
0: arrest. Our governor is, is signing
2: arrest? a bill that affects all Georgians, why and you're she going to arrest. arrest? An elected representative.
0: Why are you arresting her? Stop. Stop. Tell Let us go. now. Why are you arresting her? Cited. Give, Give me a reason why you are arresting her. Give me a reason why you are arresting her. She is an elected representative.
3: You are choosing to arrest an elected official. Cite the statute. Cite the statute that you are arresting her under.
0: So, again, this is Georgia Assemblywoman Park Cannon. She's standing at Governor Kemp's door knocking. He's having a private bill signing ceremony behind closed doors. These are, you know, again, she's an elected official, as you can hear protesters reminding the police. And police tell Assemblywoman Cannon twice, if you keep knocking, we're going to arrest you, which Makes no sense because it's illegal according to the Georgia Constitution. I'm going to read directly from the Georgia Constitution. This is Article 3, Section 4, Paragraph 9. It's called Privilege of Members. The members of both houses shall be free from arrest during sessions of the Georgia Assembly or committee meetings thereof, and in going thereto or returning therefrom, except for treason, felony, or breach of the peace. Breach of the peace has been struck, according to one article I read, but either way, she wasn't breaching the peace. She clearly wasn't committing treason. So what they did was they charged her with a felony. And that's interesting because what they charged her with is essentially disrupting a meeting of the General Assembly, which, A, she's an Assembly member, so I don't know how she would disrupt it by wanting to be in the room. But B, reading from the Georgia Code, Title 16, Chapter 11, Section 34.1, on preventing or disrupting General Assembly sessions or meetings of members under subsection H, any person violating this code section, this is the one that they charged her with, for the first time shall be guilty of a misdemeanor. So they amped this up to a felony, despite the fact that it says in code that she can't have a felony. I'm just reading from this law just to show you that, you know, these police had no business arresting her. Obviously, it's literally written out in code and in the Constitution that she can't be. But of course, even without all of that All she's trying to do is literally be in a bill signing to see what is happening with this horrendous bill. You know, I think we should talk more about what's in this bill. But before we do that, I'll also just say Nakima Williams, who's now in the United States Congress, she got the exact same treatment in November 2018. Same charges disrupting the assembly, as well as obstruction, you know, obstruction of justice, which is a charge that she got after she refused to be strip searched when she was taken to jail. All she did was stand with a protester while she was in the Capitol building.
1: Incredible. These members of Congress or members of the state assembly, like members of Congress, as you're saying, Nicole, they have immunity. And you would think if the police who are Capitol police, they're there, that's their job, right? So they know about the immunity standards. So they clearly... In spite of their training and knowledge about the law and about the immunity of elected officials, they arrested this assemblywoman and they charged Park Cannon with a felony. This is a disgusting violation of her rights. And again, she has immunity. We'll see what culpability the police have for carrying out this illegal arrest. But she was knocking on the door to you know, she wanted to find out what's going on behind closed doors. Well, Nicole, what was going on behind closed doors? What's in the bill?
0: So I'm sure a lot of people have heard that this bill is a massive voter suppression bill, which it absolutely is. But I want to go through some of the components because some of them have been really well publicized, like it adds a photo ID requirement for absentee male voting. We know this is you know, really specifically targeted at Black voters and poor voters in especially some of these southern states like Georgia. It limits the ballot drop boxes that were so successful and so useful for people who are voting by mail. It shortens the time that people have to even request absentee ballots, which is a crazy thing that you have to do in the first place. You should just be able to get a ballot. You have a right to vote. It also, one of the most publicized that is just so blatant, it criminalizes offering food or water to any voters waiting in lines. So Georgia already has people waiting in lines to vote instead of just actually making sure that there's enough voting places or keeping those ballot drop boxes open. It also codifies Sunday voting hours as totally optional. So, you know, any region now can cancel their Sunday voting hours. And Sunday voting hours are really important. This was a really key way that a lot of the Black community voted in Georgia there were a number of organizing groups that were organizing church groups to go to the polls after church on Sundays or before church on Sundays. So really, you know, key way to have people vote with their community to feel safe voting. So the fact that not only are they criminalizing, offering food and water if you're waiting, but they're also making sure that it's not actually required for you to be able to vote on Sunday, also a day that a lot of people have off. But honestly, one of the most insidious parts of this bill is that the head of the state election board will no longer be the secretary of state. That was the Republican who actually resisted Trump, if you recall, back in November, who wouldn't just bow down to what Trump wanted. Instead of the secretary of state, the head of the state election board will be handpicked by the majority in the assembly, which is the majority of the time Republican. And the quote unquote poll watchers that we saw this past year These are people who are popping up reporting, you know, oh, well, I'm challenging that vote. I'm challenging that vote. I'm challenging that vote. People felt really intimidated by these quote unquote poll watchers. Those challenges, they're able to now challenge as many votes as they want. These challenges are now completely unlimited. So this is essentially legalizing mass voter intimidation. And lastly, I'll just say that this board, the state election board that now is headed by somebody who's handpicked by the conservative legislature they can now opt to appoint a single individual to rule on all those challenges from the quote-unquote poll watchers instead of a judge or the board itself as it is now. So, I mean, it's just completely handing power to the Republican legislature, the racist Republican legislature who is meanwhile arresting a Black elected official for merely wanting to watch the bill signing that is happening for some reason behind closed doors. And I'll add in that same Georgia Code title that I read from, In Section 34.1, Paragraph 11 talks about open meetings, the sessions of the General Assembly and all standing committee meetings thereof shall be open to the public.
1: Wow. I mean, it's so revealing about what's going on. Esther, the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964, 57 years ago, more than a half a century. The Voting Rights Act in 1965, 56 years ago designed to end the the system of legal apartheid in America. Apartheid still exists in many ways, but it was legal. Apartheid was legal in America. The police state directed against Black America in the Southern states especially was legal. Uh, It wasn't really legal, but it had the veneer of legality. It was the state itself that was the conduit, the purveyor of violence directed against black people and the denial of rights. And here we are and you have cops in the deep south in Georgia arresting a black assembly woman. So that's different from 1965 black people are actually in the state assembly. But arresting her for knocking on a door and behind the closed door is the governor who's trying to eviscerate the 1965 civil voting rights act. And at the same time Undoubtedly, when this assemblywoman, Park Cannon, is found not guilty, which I believe she will be, hopefully, she can or should be able to sue the police officers. But of course, and they, of course, through their training should know that she has immunity, but they have something called qualified immunity. And this is what the police have used as a shield so that it's so hard to hold the police accountable. So you have all of these issues this toxic mix of issues, the police state, racism, the denial of voting rights. I mean, it was the driving force of the civil rights revolution in 1964 or 65. And it's still right with us almost with the same intensity.
2: Right. And there are actually a number of new legal cases, new laws, and proposed laws that go directly to this issue of qualified immunity or the right of citizens. You know, what are our rights when police violate our rights? So the Supreme Court ruled Thursday that a woman, Roxanne Torres, who was shot at 13 times by New Mexico State Police, is able to sue the officers. And these plainclothes officers were looking for someone else, but came upon the car where Torres was parked. And they came with their arms drawn, and she thought she was being hijacked. So she stepped on the gas and got away. In the meantime, they shot at her, hitting her twice in those 13 bullets, right? But she still got away. So Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the majority decision that the shooting was a seizure, you know, under the Fourth Amendment even though the woman had managed to escape. He said the application of physical force to the body of a person with intent to restrain is a seizure, even if the force does not succeed in subduing the person. So the court majority ruled in her favor, which just gives her a right to sue. Nothing else doesn't say that she was right and everything. It just gives her a right to sue these police And just giving her this right to sue, you know, so enraged the minority, you know, led by Gorsuch and I guess it included Alito and Thomas. And they said that, you know, the majority is being swayed by this national movement, the social movement to call into question, to challenge and to resist this, you know, police power, right? Right. And so the idea that there would be this kind of dissent for a person's simple right to sue is so striking because cops still do have all these protections, You know, notably so-called qualified immunity, which leads to very few police officers being sued personally or even charged when they assault or kill someone. You know, some people call it a license to kill, you know, a shield for the so-called bad apples. And it seems the right wants the police to have this unrestrained power, uncontested power, and this debate over if police who injure or kill us in a clearly reckless or unreasonable way in the course of law enforcement will be held accountable. That's the question, right? So the issue of qualified immunity, which we've talked about on the show in the past, is increasingly being challenged, not only in the courts, but by lawmakers Representative Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts reintroduced her proposed law to end qualified immunity. And it's called the Ending Qualified Immunity Act of 2021. And last session, she had bipartisan support for the legislation, I believe from the libertarian representative Amash. And there's a new law in New York City on Thursday, the city council approved several police department reform measures, including curbing the use of qualified immunity for some of these same fourth amendment abuses. But, you know, the civil rights advocates and activists are saying that it represents a good step, but it's not really the major statewide overhaul that is needed. And the council also approved a measure reform bill from your favorite person, Bill de Blasio, (laughs) that Will allow the Civilian Complaint Review Board to investigate police with a history of bias and racial profiling complaints, as well as giving the board the final authority on discipline recommendations for officers. And right now, the police commissioner in New York City has the right to disregard recommendations, which has been an issue in all these cases, including the internal review of former police officer Daniel Pantaleo in the death of Eric Garner. And there are a couple other states looking at these laws, Illinois, and I think we mentioned New Mexico, the bill that had just passed the House there has also passed the Senate and is waiting the governor's signature. So these issues of how much police can do and how much they can get away with without being held accountable, these issues are being handled all over the country.
1: We are witnessing just this week with the Derek Chauvin trial, with the arrest Of the assemblywoman in Georgia with the issue of the struggle to take away qualified immunity from the police. All of these sort of indicators of a struggle right now, an epic struggle between those who want to have systematic, far reaching reform and those who want to maintain the status quo. The only reason Derek Chauvin is on trial, the only reason he's on trial right now, is not because he killed George Floyd. It's not because he was videotaped killing George Floyd. It was not because it was an outrage. The only reason Derek Chauvin is on trial is because there was a nationwide uprising against racism, and that made it impossible for the ruling class to do what it normally does and to have the system work as it normally works, which is to shield the perpetrators of violence if they're the police and the other agents of the state working on behalf of the capitalist ruling class, which is why they exist. So there's this conflict, people who want reform and the status quo, and this struggle, this dynamism, this clash is really at the center of all of the efforts by people to do something significant, something meaningful. One of the things, Nicole, that's a byproduct of this struggle, but part of this ongoing struggle it has been going on with real force, especially since The killing of Mike Brown and Ferguson in 2014 is the struggle to get rid of some of the other terrible, terrible, grievous, gross, racist, unjust elements of the police state in America. One of them has to do with cash bail. Before
2: you go on to that, I just wanted to just add one more thing directly tied to something you just said, that it takes the most extreme cases, like when we're seeing the actual video of Derek Chauvin you know, choking the life out of George Floyd or these cops shooting at a woman 13 times who did not do anything and who was not suspected of anything. I just want to say that the Supreme Court also weighed in at the end of last year in a case that really didn't get that much attention, and it was also a very extreme case. The Supreme Court ruled that these prison guards who forced a naked inmate to sleep in sewage and urine and live in a cell that was you know, caked with feces had a right to sue these prison guards. So again, I just want to make the point that it takes the most extreme cases to even get to the point where people can have any legal redress.
1: Indeed. And now we have this struggle, Nicole. Again, there are these demands for reform in all areas of the so-called criminal justice system. One of them has to do with cash bail. It turns out cash bail, which has been eliminated in Washington D.C. as a consequence of people's struggle, cash bail isn't just about the rights of individuals who are, you know, who don't have money to be able to get out of jail while they're still presumed to be innocent turns out cash bail is a big business.
0: Yeah, cash bail is definitely a big business. So, you know, most people understand how this works. If you get arrested in most places, you go in and you're given a bail hearing, you're set a bond, which is just essentially, if you can pay, you can leave. Because the vast, vast, vast majority of people cannot do that, cannot just, you know, we know, what is it, Brian, it's like 40% of Americans can't afford a $500 expense, an unexpected $500 expense. You know, the vast majority of people need some sort of other system. So the other system that's developed is this bail bondsman system, a really predatory, disgusting system where these bail bondsmen just hang out around jails, hang out around holding areas, hang out and wait for somebody to come and you know, come up to the office and try to pay and be told, you know, well, you have to pay this much. And you say, oh, well, I I can't afford $500. I can't afford $1,000. I can't afford a million dollars, whatever my my bail is. Then the bondsman say, well, I can cover you. I'm just going to add another 10% on and you're never going to see that again. So you'll lose money for sure. You'll lose a lot of money, much more than if you, you know, were just paying it out of pocket and you would get it back when you went to court. We'll cover you, but you're going to have to pay us 10% and you don't get that back. And bail bondsmen and their insurance companies have been increasing their lobbying and their financial contributions and other political spending to keep that disgusting system in place. There's a new Reuters study showing that over the last decade, these predatory companies have spent more than $23 million. As consciousness is growing about this horrendous system, they're spending this amount of money, which is up from the $4 million they spent in the last decade to prevent these reforms from taking place, like you were talking about, Brian, to prevent these changes from taking place, where like in Washington, D.C., you know, for the vast majority of allegations, remember, you're pre-trial, so you're still innocent until proven guilty. And so in Washington, D.C. and other places, you just get released for most offenses. Oh, we're charging you with shoplifting. Okay, you don't need to be sitting in a jail cell for that, right? Notably, I'll say that there's been a report showing that In Ohio, this is an ACLU report in Ohio. If Ohio did something very similar to Washington, D.C., they could save one hundred and ninety nine to two hundred and sixty four million dollars each year by adopting these really very basic common sense bail reform policies. If you're arrested for something like, you know, beating your partner or something, you know, that's again, you're innocent until proven guilty. But just in case you'll have a hearing. But for the majority, the majority of these other cases, you don't have a hearing. You leave. And it just improves so much the quality of the experience for you. You don't have to be sitting in a jail cell. But I want to speak, Brian, to what you were saying. I'm quoting now from this Reuters investigation. The gross profit margin of bail bonds after paying claims and related expenses, but before other costs, the gross profit margin averages 83% compared with 33% for insurers covering cars and homes. So, you know, essentially bail bondsmen, their insurance companies making millions and millions of dollars. And in the meantime, spending $23 million to make sure that no states get a fairer system. In California, California passed a law in 2018, and I'll give you this example and then hand it back to you. But California passed a law in 2018 that successfully ended cash bail in its current form like we have in D.C. The massive bail insurance companies nationwide spent almost $3 million just to get a ballot initiative on the ballot. Then they spent more than seven million dollars on a vote no campaign on a bill that was already passed. Then the industry has also battled these eradication efforts in Florida, Texas, Colorado, New York and other states in the past 10 years. I mean, it's just disgusting, racist, anti-poor, classist and incredibly harmful.
1: Yeah, Nicole, capitalism can make a profit out of anything. And of course, the criminal justice system is just a source of endless profits and endless revenue streams. And of course, when people sit in jail, even though they're presumed innocent, but they're there in jail because they're poor, because they're working class, because they don't have the money that the affluent and especially the rich, should they ever be arrested, have the money to get out right away because they sit in jail working class taxpayers pay the bill. So you have the capitalists who are in the bail bond business making tons of money. The state is you know, paying a lot of money and the taxpayers pay for it. So again, all of it is designed to basically restrict, restrain, obstruct, or negate people's basic constitutional rights, the right to be presumed innocent and thus not punished and at the same time, a source of profit. A perfect example of what's wrong with capitalism. Let's, because time is short, let's go. Walter, you are the editor at Liberation News website. Always have great stories, news stories coming out every day, news, analysis, history. You put out a newsletter every Monday. Tell us about some of your top stories.
4: Yeah. Well, please check out liberationnews.org. Check it out every day. We update the site frequently, multiple times a day. And to sign up for that newsletter that Brian mentioned, you can find the link right at the very top in the middle of our homepage. Again, that website URL is liberationnews.org. Several articles that I want to draw people's attention to today one is the title is actions in 60 cities stand with asian community against racism war so this is a report back from just some of the over 60 cities across the country that participated in the national day of action called by the answer coalition against anti asian racism and violence um that call to action went out just a couple of days after the horrific massacre in Atlanta of eight people, including six Asian women. These protests were held in places, including large cities, right? New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Washington, DC all had major actions. But there are also participating protesters in small towns and cities across the country. For instance, we had actions in Provo, Utah. There were Demonstrations in Richland, Washington, in Ithaca, New York, in Secom, Washington, in uh, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. I mean, this was truly, I think, a widespread outpouring of solidarity with the Asian community and outrage against this rising tide of racist hate crimes. So I think these actions were important because of the display of unity. I mean, I was at the action in Philadelphia. I mean, these were, I think, all across the country, very, very diverse showings of solidarity with the Asian community. And they also raised, I think, an extremely important political issue. The speakers at the actions, the material for the actions talked about the long history of anti-Asian racism in this country. And they also raised the issue of the war propaganda that's been saturating society that portrays China and people from Asia more broadly as these existential threats to people in the United States. This is exactly what happened in the aftermath of 9-11, where there was a spike, a wave of hate crimes targeting Muslims and people who are perceived to be Muslim, just in the same way that that was a byproduct of the racist war propaganda at the time, we, those who participated in the March 27th Day of Action, believe that this is also tied to the war drive with China. So check out that article, Actions in 60 Cities Stand with Asian Community Against Racism War. Two other pieces I want to highlight really quick here. One is about the big victory in court in Denver for the framed activists who are fighting for justice for Elijah McLean. The title of this article, major victory in Denver, judge dismisses kidnapping charges, but protest leaders still facing 36 years. So what happened is that in a pre-trial hearing, and that's very significant, in a pre-trial hearing, the judge threw out the most serious charge against these three leaders of the Justice for Elijah McClain movement, Joel Northam, Lillian House, and Eliza Lucero. Uh, He said that it was so ridiculous that if the arrest warrant had come before him, he wouldn't have even signed it. Now, the prosecution has a built-in advantage in pretrial hearings because the standard of evidence in a pretrial hearing is probable cause, right? So that's a much, much lower standard of evidence than beyond a reasonable doubt, which is what they would have to prove to secure an actual conviction in a trial. But even with this built-in advantage, the prosecution was essentially ridiculed by the judge for saying that By virtue of there being a demonstration going on outside of the police headquarters, the cops inside were kidnapped. I mean, that's such an outrageous argument and a good thing it was thrown out. But it's very important to note that this fight is not over. This is a great sign. It's a very promising sign. But the protest leaders are still facing as many as 36 years in prison. So there's a litany of other charges. The fight continues to get those dropped as well. But I think this initial victory shows that that fight can absolutely be successful. Final article I want to recommend for this week. It's titled Amazon Workers Fight Back. Bessemer, Alabama Sees Overwhelming Support for Union Drive. This is militant journalism. This is reports from the front line of the class struggle across the country, stories that you won't find in the corporate media. This is written by a group of members of the Party for Socialism and Liberation who went around Bessemer, Alabama, knocking on doors and trying to build up community support for the historic union organizing drive that's going on that I believe we'll know the results of in perhaps just a few days. This is a big showdown between working class people in this town and you know the richest man in the world and Jeff Bezos. So this is a crucially important struggle. You can get a firsthand account of what the scene is like in Bessemer by going to liberationnews.org and remember to sign up for our newsletter right at the top.
1: Thank you, Walter. And thank you, Esther and Nicole. Important show today focused on the police state, the racist police state in the United States. For those who want to continue to show their support for the people who are on trial and still facing decades in prison in Denver, go to their website, denverdefense.org, sign the petition there, get involved. There's an excellent documentary film made by Breakthrough News. Again, for the rest of this week, Richard Wolf will not be with us tomorrow as he normally is on every Wednesday where we talk about the big stories on the economy, but we will be back with the real story on Thursday this is a show obviously we're not only talking about the police state we're not only talking about workers rights in Alabama we're not only talking about it we're living it we're acting on it we're building a movement that's the whole point of the socialist program
0: you've been listening to the socialist program with Brian Becker where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker.